0: I don't know if you've ever, like, really, really ever stuck your foot in your mouth before, but I'm guessing most of us have shared that experience. Uh, Also, I think there are some of us that are much more familiar with the taste of our foot than than others. Um, But again, I'm sure that everybody has done this. Um, In fact, if you remember a specific time when you stuck your foot in your mouth, go ahead and just leave a foot emoji in the comments, okay? Just get us with a little, little one of these in the comments, okay? Um, and the reason why I want to know if you have a specific, like, uh, a specific time is because uh, there's a moment that sticks out to me, and it's still like, it almost makes my stomach hurt a little bit, and, and it wasn't that big a deal, honestly, but but someone's feelings were hurt, and that still, you know, really bothers me. Uh, it was, an uh, I think, the first Christmas, right after Abby and I were married, and we were down at my mom and dad's. And my aunt was there, and she gave us uh, a couple of Christmas presents, and one of them was a set of Christmas dishes. And they were like unashamedly obvious Christmas dishes, you know. Uh, they had a big old snowman on them. They were just like so bright and colorful, and I, I loved them. If you know me, if you know anything about me, you know I love I love Christmases. And, and so I was I was excited about it. I really loved them. And so what I started to say, I said, awesome, we don't have any. Ch-. And I paused on the. ch. Um, because what I was gonna say was cheesy Christmas dishes, and I meant that in the best possible way. Again, love Christmas, love things that are obviously Christmas themed. Okay, um, and so I liked the, the 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 obvious nature that it was Christmas. Okay, and and but then I thought, you know, well maybe cheesy would they maybe they wouldn't she wouldn't hear that the right way. So um, I just kind of stopped myself. Well, then she said, what, cheap? I was like, no, I didn't say, I wasn't going to say cheap. And then I tried to like step my way out of it that, you know, I was going to say, you know, cheesy and I'm in it in a good way. And and I tried to get myself out of it, but it just, I mean, I just could not seem to get my foot out of my mouth. And even now that still kind of makes me cringe a little bit. And if you've ever done that, you know how painful that can be. And what these moments can show us though, is the incredible power and influence of our words. Uh, the words that come out of our mouth, even the unintentional ones, can cause a lot of pain, can lead to a lot of joy. Um, and so that's one thing that that we have to understand, is that our words are incredibly powerful. And, you know, for some, I think, for some people in your life, your words hold the power of life and death. Like, very, in a very real way. I mean, you can breathe life into someone through encouragement, guidance, and love, or you can tear them down with criticism, complaints, and anger. And that's why, as we get into our passage today, um, which is going to be James uh, chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1. Um, we're going to talk about how, or James is going to influence us and very, <laughs> emphasize it very strongly, that we should be very, very careful ...with what we say, because our words are powerful. So like I said, we're going to grab uh, grab a Bible, or if you got a Bible app on your phone, you want to get out and get that going, um, that's fine. We'll be in James chapter 3. We're going to cover the first uh, 12 verses of James 3. Uh, if you've been with us for a number of weeks, you know this, but if you're newer, um, James is the half-brother of Jesus. And James wrote a little letter here to Jewish Christians who had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire... And he just kind of gives a lot of little wise tips for how we can live, how Christians can live um, at, with a, a growing and vibrant faith. And in the topic today, he's chosen uh, to, to be very, very emphatic and strong on how we handle the words we use. So let's go ahead and jump into James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, "...not many of you should become teachers, my brothers." For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So the first thing James kind of covers when he's tackling this topic of words is a warning to anyone who would wish to become a teacher of the Bible. Um, James says that teachers will be will be judged more strictly at the end of their lives, and basically he just wants anyone who desires to teach the Bible to take this calling incredibly seriously because. When you are are somebody like in a in a position like myself, and you have a congregation who comes to you for teaching and instruction and guidance, when you're teaching the Bible and whatever your gui- and whatever guidance you're handing out, that's going to leave a mark on people. That's going to guide people for good or bad. And so he's calling out these Bible teachers, saying, "Be careful! Not everybody. You know, you shouldn't just undertake this task lightly. It's a very big deal. The words of a teacher are incredibly powerful, and because of that, teachers will be judged more." strictly. And then he goes on to verse 2 and he says, "For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to do able also to bridle his whole body." So he says, "We all stumble. We all do things that are wrong. We all make, you know, mistakes here and there. But it is it's really important that he says stumble right there, instead of sin. Because when I read that, you know, oh, we all stumble in many ways. I read that, yeah, we all sin. We all make mistakes. That's kind of how I understood it as a Christian, and, and that's kind of what he means. But when he uses the word stumble, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it signifies something else a little different. Because, you see, stumble, it means something that wasn't really planned, okay? Like, you don't plan to trip or stumble. Uh, the other day, I was just walking through my kitchen, and I had my shoes on, and like mid step, the, the little rubber tip on my on my shoe just caught the floor and I almost like fell down in my own kitchen for no reason. Nothing tripped me. I didn't trip over anybody else. I just failed to walk right. And and you know, it wasn't something I planned. Uh, it wasn't something I wanted anyone to see happening. And and I did the thing like if you've ever been out on the sidewalk and tripped, you know, you do that immediate like Oh no! Who 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 saw that? How embarrassed do I need to be? How many witnesses were there? And so I'm just in my own kitchen, like, who who saw that? You know, and and it's just interesting. But um, but the word stumble, um. James is showing that that when we do sin, it, for for Christians, it shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't be people who are just you know outright doing evil. James understands that as Christians, our intentions should be to live lives where we, we walk away from sin, where we, we do what's right and honorable and holy and loving to God and loving to people. But he's saying that there are going to be times that even the most mature, even the most uh, well-intentioned Christian is going to have their guard down. There's going to be situations when emotions are high and we're going to do or say something that we almost immediately regret. And so he's pointing out that even the most devoted Christians who are trying to practice self-control in all areas of life are still going to are still going to have times when they sin. And one of the most common ways that we're going to sin in those moments when when tempers flare or our guard is down is with our mouths. And then he points out, he says it in fact it's so hard to keep your mouth in check that if you ever come across somebody who has totally mastered keeping their mouth in check, Totally, they've totally mastered keeping their, their mouths shut when they shouldn't say anything and opening them when they should, then that you can go ahead and assume that that person is a completely perfect person in every other area of life. Because controlling your tongue all the time is such a hard task that if somebody can do that, well, keeping every other part of their life under wraps is, or, or keeping every other part of their life um, in line is is easy by comparison. And so when he says this, he's like, yeah, everybody stumbles, it happens. Now this verse kind of, it provides me with one, comfort, and two, fear. Because comfort, it's like, well, yeah, okay, I still mess up and I sin, but I'm not alone. Okay, we're all, we're all still struggling. Like we all still make mistakes. We all still sin, even when we're trying our hardest to obey Jesus. Uh, but it also scared me in that it's like, wow, I probably have a lot of apologies and a lot of repenting to do in my future because I'm probably never going to get over this little stumbling that's going to happen in my life. And, and so because, again, words are powerful, words are powerful, James wants us to put extra focus on being the kind of people who watch what we say. Let's keep going. Verse 3. So here, James is making sure that we, again, don't underestimate the power of our words to sway our whole lives. Because, like, you know, our, our, our mouths, our tongues, our lips, you know, the, the anatomical parts of our body that produce the words we say, that's a relatively small part of our whole bodies. But he's saying, man, the damage they can do is so huge. The, the influence they have on the direction of your life is incredibly huge. Um, in fact, the book of Proverbs from the Old Testament is filled, absolutely filled with statements about the power of words. Sometimes it's the beauty and the helpfulness of wise words, and sometimes it's the danger of foolish words. Um, just two examples. Proverbs ni- uh, ten nineteen says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And Proverbs thirteen three says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Now, as someone who has a tendency, one, to talk a lot and someone who also talks for a living, that's a little scary to me um, because it says that if you don't watch your words, you're going to, one, sin a lot, just talking a lot and sin kind of go hand in hand. And the more you talk, the more likely you are to lead yourself to ruin, to destroy parts or all of your life. And that should get our attention a little. I mean, that should get our attention a lot. I mean, if you've ever, you know, met someone who had no control over their words, not only did they tend to say hurtful things to other people, but they also hurt themselves because who wants to be around somebody who's hurting other people and saying things that are problematic all the time? Um, I mean, if you've ever met somebody, for instance. where it seemed like every word out of their mouth was correcting you, criticizing you, informing you of something that you did wrong, or or letting you know that, you know, your best wasn't quite good enough. Uh, I mean, you know how how off putting that is. I mean, our our the pandemic, I gotta admit, it's been a little rough on us as, as parents. Um, and, and it feels bad to even say this, but pretty much every person in our family is tired of every other person in our family. Um, I mean, the kids are tired of each other. The kids are tired of a- Abby and I. You know, we could use a break from the kids. All that, all that, you know, is, is kind of in play. And, and again, it sounds terrible, but, but we've just been around each other so much the last several months, and maybe you guys are feeling that too. And just, I mean, I think Abby and I both feel like it's been increasingly easier to get into a mood where we're correcting and chastising our kids for every little thing, not because they're bad kids or, or they're doing things that are horribly wrong. It's just because we get tired and we get stressed and we get frustrated. And, uh, you know, Jude, who's our, our middle child, he has such a tender heart. He is always the first one to, to react as maybe we get more stressed or our mood gets a little bit more sour. Um, he he ends up being kind of like the canary in our coal mine, um, where you know when Jude's like, I'm sorry, I know you're stressed, and he'll even he was really observant with that stuff. He's like, you're stressed, you don't have, to, I'm sorry, I don't mean to ask to trouble you and things like that. And so when he gets that way, it's always like, you know what, I'm sorry, I I think I've been a little bit harsh. I think I've been a little bit, you know, I'm overbearing. I'm really sorry. You, you're you're fine, buddy. And and it he he usually gets me to a point and opens me up to the fact that I probably need to apologize and I probably need to take a step back and, and get my attitude under control. Because when my words are criticizing and harsh and there's no joy and no laughter and no encouragement, I mean, that attitude doesn't, one, benefit my kids, and it hurts our relationship together. It just drives them away from me. It does nothing that I want to accomplish as a parent. And ultimately, it it, it just achieves destruction of our relationship and, and of, of their, you know, hopefully, I mean, their spirit, I'm just kind of squashing their their little spirits as they seek to live their lives and, and develop them into the people that Christ wants to be. So there's no purpose for it, and and, and it's something that, you know, I'm trying constantly trying to repent of and, and make my way out of. So if you've ever met somebody like that, you know how, how horrible that is. And another thing, like, um, James points out, an, like, another thing, he says, um, um, that even though the tongue is small, it makes great boasts. Uh, if you've ever been around somebody who, who boasts a lot or brags on themselves, and, you know, they're spending time talking, talking about themselves and lifting themselves up. That's really like, kind of gross uh, and distasteful to, to experience. Uh, in fact, it's so off-putting that most of us have gotten to a place in our lives where, where we're even like, not okay with telling people what we're good at. Like, let's say you're a really good singer, and someone says, oh, are you a good singer? You'd be like, well, oh, I mean, I'm okay. I, I can carry a tune. Uh, but you don't want to say, yeah, I'm a good singer, even if you know that that's a skill that you possess, because you don't want to appear that you're you know bragging, because you know how bad that is. And it's funny how um, it's kind of okay in kids, right? I mean, if you've ever been around a group of, of friends, little kids who were friends, a friend group of little kids, there we go, um, You've probably heard stuff like this. Like they'll get into like these arguments about you know how good they, who's the best at this game, and who's the fastest, and everyone's like, oh, I'm so fast, and they'll get into this argument about whose dad could beat up all the other dads, and and that. Which, I mean, I don't know why that's always an argument. My dad's stronger than your dad. I mean, that seems to be like that just kind of like stays with us through the generations. My kids have had conversations about that. Dad, do you think you're stronger than such and such a dad? It's like. I don't know. I mean, was there at one point in time like this epic dad brawl where they could put that, you know, issue to rest once and for all so that one kid could go back to school on Monday and be like, told you my dad could beat up your dad. I was right. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, but but like they that's what kids do, right? They kind of get into these little, you know, I'm better than you conversations, and, and it's kind of a regular thing, and we don't really like get so put off by it, in kids, because we know that they're young, there's immaturity, they're trying to figure themselves out, they're trying to learn how to navigate their world. Um, but when it sticks with someone into adulthood, when you find an adult who still feels the need to kind of one-up everyone, it's just, again, off-putting. And, and again, it's like, who wants to be around someone like that? Who wants to be married to someone like that? Who, how hard must it be to be friends with someone who does that all the time? And not to mention, what if somebody ever just calls you out and proves to everyone that maybe you're not as good at certain things as you have tried to lead them to believe? And, and so James wants us to realize that as Christians, we have to never, ever understand the power of our words. Yeah, our mouths are small. Yeah, little sentences here and there might not seem like any big deal, but we can't underestimate the power of our words. Let's keep going in uh, verse five here. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Four, every kind of beast and bird Uh, uh, Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, what strong talk he goes into here. Again, trying to show us that our words are so powerful that they can't ever be tamed. Our words, our mouths, our tongues are untamable. And he starts by using the example of fire. Um, and fire is something that, I mean, we all use fire every day in some capacity. And fire is a great servant, right? Uh, when we keep it under control, it cooks our food, it warms our houses in the winter. We don't want our houses warm any warmer than they already are now. I understand that. but But there are times in a few short months where we're going to be Turning on our furnaces and that fire is going to keep us warm. Um, Fire is what pushes our cars down the road, unless you don't have a car with an internal combustion engine. engine. Um, But most of us do still. Um, But it only takes a quick second for that fire to get away from you, for something to go wrong, and for it to destroy pretty much everything you hold dear. And so James uses fire as an example of how we can't again lower you can't lower your guard around. Your words. You can't drop your guard. And then he uses the example of wild animals, which is a great example, by the way. Um, You know, like many people in our our culture, um, or our country, excuse me, early on in the pandemic, and and man, this feels like months ago, or years ago, actually, um, Abby and I got sucked in to the flamboyant dumpster fire that was Tiger King on Netflix. And in like the second episode, it's about a guy that runs a zoo full of exotic animals, uh, lots of tigers. Um, And in the second episode, one of the workers um, gets their arm ripped off pretty much by a tiger while I think she was putting food into the pens. And they interviewed the person later, and they said, "Yeah, I got too comfortable. Uh, I dropped my guard, and that's what happened." And and that it was like so you know, shocking to kind of see that happen in this episode. And I don't know why it shocked me, because we've been seeing stuff like this, I mean, literally forever, about once a year. There's some big article, uh, some new story about somebody who, you know, keeps tigers or a chimpanzee or a snake as a pet. And, you know, since they've raised it from a baby and it's been affectionate, you know, they think they've kind of got it domesticated. And then out of the blue, out of the blue one day, it kills them and tries to eat them. And everyone, like, the fa- they interview the family, and the family's so shocked, and the neighbors are so shocked. Oh, he was such a sweet snake. I don't understand why he tr- strangled everyone in their sleep. Or, oh, that pet bear, he never tried to eat anybody else before. I can't believe this happened. And it's like, well, I do. You brought a wild animal into your house, or you dropped your guard and went into a cage with a wild animal. Like, even if they've been trained to do some tricks, they're still a wild animal that has crazy instincts. And James is wanting us to realize that our mouths are, are the same way. We can never drop our guard. You can never just speak without thinking because your words are too powerful. And it only takes one misspoken sentence, one insensitively worded, hurtful sentence to really do a lot of damage. We can't relax and confidently think, you know what, I've got my, my brain and my mouth and that filter that runs in between the two, I've got that all set up and taken care of and I can just kind of not worry about ever sinning with my mouth and saying something hurtful ever again. No, as, as followers of, of Jesus, we must always be careful with what we say. And that's where James is going to go next, and he's going to show us just why it's so important for us, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, to be exceptionally careful with our words. Let's go on. Uh, Start in verse 9. He says, With it, with our mouths, with our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so the biggest issue of all of this, when it comes to our words, is that those of us who are Christians are representatives of Jesus, and we're supposed to be representatives of Jesus all the time, like not just when we're in the church building one hour a week. Not that we can do that right now. Um, not just when we're, you know, in certain circumstances where it, it really benefits us to, you know, follow the rules and kind of talk a certain way. Um, you know, just because you, you know, we're used to come to church when we were coming and meeting in person, um, and you didn't, you know, drop any, you know, curse words while you were here. He's like, that's not what the, this is talking about. It's saying that we are representatives of Jesus every second of every day. He's like, you're a representative of Christ with your words and your actions at home, uh, with your family, at work with your boss, when you're on a boat with your friends, wherever you are, you are a representative of Jesus. And so he asked this question, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Um, And in in Israel, in Judea, where a lot of these people who he's writing to would have been from, uh, there's a mountain range that kind of runs through most of of Israel, and, and scattered on the eastern side of the mountain ridges are all these different springs. And some of them bubble up with good, clean, refreshing drinking water, and some of them are are sulfurous and bitter and others are salty and just gross like something you would never want to drink that would do you more harm than good right and the people that live in the area they have memorized where the good ones are because when they're out on a journey they want to be able to get water and know where they can get water and the reason they memorize which where the good ones are is because the good ones always give good water like it's not like that, you know. One one day the spring's given bad water, and maybe the next day it's back to good water again. They don't jump back and forth. The good springs are always good, and the bad springs are always bad. And maybe you don't have a spring in your backyard. I don't. Um, but like, take your kitchen faucet for example. Um, if you didn't know from from minute to minute or day to day whether you were going to flip on your faucet and it was going to dump out nice, clean, safe drinking water, or the water was going to come out all brown and dirty and gross. Well, you would obviously say, something is wrong with my faucet. It's inconsistent that it's not giving clean water all the time. And James is saying, that's the same with your mouth. That's the same thing with your words. If you're a Christian and you want to honor God and have your life reflect Jesus, then we must strive, as much as we are able, to be careful with our words. To let our words be honoring and reflecting of the love, grace, mercy, kindness of Jesus all the time. Not just in certain settings, but all the time. I mean, what does it tell someone about God if, you're, if they know that you go to church and you sing praises to God, and then the next day you're insulting them, making fun of other people at work, or telling jokes that belittle people? Like, they're going to be like, that's kind of inconsistent. Why would I want to worship that God? Why would I want to follow in your footsteps if, if you're just a, a hypocrite in that sense? And so we cannot forget, we cannot, as Christians, ever lose sight of the fact that our words are incredibly, incredibly powerful. We must surrender our language, our way of speaking. We must surrender that to be changed and and remade by the Holy Spirit like the rest of our sinful, shameful habits. And sins and mistakes, we submit even the way we speak to the Holy Spirit to be um, shaped, and so that we can honor and glorify Jesus with that. Because your words will direct your life, but words are so powerful that they often end up giving you the power to direct the lives of those around you. and And how can we as Christians expect to reflect Jesus if we're inconsistent in this way? How can we? Re- How can we hope to to honor God if we're only serving Him part of the time? How can we as Christians expect to have good marriages that thrive and survive if all we do is put down our spouse? How can we as parents expect to teach our children about the hope of Christ if every word to them is angry and hopeless and just beating them down for not being good enough? How can we as Christians expect to be a family, a, a church family, if we're, if we're gossiping about one another or we're never, not, never going out of our way to encourage and lift up and, and guide and, and influence one another for good? How do we as Christians expect to share the message of Jesus if all of our words, or at least most of our words, are poisonous and nasty and insulting? So it's incredibly important that we keep a tight rein on our mouths so that we are always reflecting the love, the grace, the teaching, and the guidance of Jesus. We can never underestimate the power of one small but hurtful sentence. One small but out of control, off the cuff, emotionally said sentence. Your words very truly have the power of life and death. Uh, You know the old, Uh, playground saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, I didn't have to get too old before I learned that that wasn't always true. You know, I've had broken bones and they've healed and they don't hurt anymore, but I've had people say things to me that were hurtful that echoed in my mind for years. And so we have a responsibility, not just to leading our life in a God-honoring way, but to the way that we're influencing the lives of other people. Words are powerful. Your words are powerful. And when you interact with people every single day, you've got to remember that you are a representative of Jesus and that you hold with every sentence the power of life and death.